this morning you ever in your life have ever gotten distracted. If, if, if I had to title this message, I would title it this, I got distracted. Um, the, the last place you want to get distracted is where? In your cars. Because I've seen some of you driving, okay? Um, you don't want to be distracted in your car. And, and I was thinking about how life can bring so much distractions. Like we, we think we have our day planned out. And, and you think you're going to get this checklist done and you've got this punch list or maybe you've got a honey-do list. And for some reason, something always happens to get you distracted and not to get to the things that you need to get done. Life is full of distractions that can take us off course very quickly if we're not careful. And I've learned something. I've learned this great, valuable a lesson uh, about distractions through our dog, Tulip. So here, here's what I learned about Tulip. We got Tulip about a year ago. I got a picture, picture of, of Tulip right here. Now, that, is that not the cutest dog in the world? You better say, ah, because my dog's cuter than your dog. I'm just saying, okay? Um, that, that's Tulip. Tulip is about a year old. We got her when she was nine weeks old. She weighed like Two pounds. You're just little fur ball. And how many know that when you get a puppy, it's the best thing and it's the worst thing. It's like Charles Dickens' Tales of Two Cities. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. The thing about puppies, for those of you that actually got a dog that you actually had to train and potty train, it's like having a kid, isn't it? You, you forget. You're like, this is a lot of work uh, to have a puppy. Well, Tulip was a puppy, and we got her last year at the end of December when we had a really bad cold snap. I mean, it was freezing outside. So we're trying to train this nine-week-old dog how to go potty outside. And she's going out there and looking at the snow and said, this ain't happening. I'm not going. This is not working. And, and the thing that, about Tulip that I, I see, especially about puppies, is they're so easily distracted. The one thing you want them to do is to go outside and do their business. I was like, just do your business, Tulip. Just go potty, okay? But anything she would see, a little leaf blowing by, she'd all run after the leaf, right? And, and someone would be walking by, and then you start barking at that, or there'd be a bird in the tree, and she'd look at the bird, and she wouldn't do what she was supposed to do, and that's go potty. And she's, she's a year old, over a year old now, and she still gets easily distracted. And so that's what I want to look into today. We're, we're finishing our series um, Empty promises. What are the things that we just focus? And you can take Tulip down now. I know we could leave Tulip up all the, the whole time. You can take her down now. But what are the things in our lives that we put our hope in that just don't deliver? And there's so many things that we can put our hope in that just that just don't 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 deliver. And we can get so easily distracted that we lose our sense of purpose and meaning. In our life. And so what I want to look at today is what is your calling? If I were to ask you the question this morning, what is your calling? Or have you ever wondered, what is my calling? What is my purpose? Is is your calling your occupation? Is your calling just to be a parent? 
Is your calling to make a lot of money or to be as successful as you can be? Is, is that really your calling? Is your, is your calling to have a, a great marriage or to have great kids? Is that your calling? What are you called to? And, and see, when things don't happen in our lives or they don't deliver or things don't work out like we've hoped to, what are we left with? And if we're, if we're not careful, here's the problem. If we're, if we're not careful, if, we're not, if we don't have a true understanding of what our purpose in life is, um, we can tend to attach our worth to these things. Or we, can, or we can tend to attach our identity to these things. So if, 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 if I do well and I'm successful, then I feel good about myself. I feel successful. My, my identity is attached to my success. Or... Um, you know, if, if I have a great marriage, then I feel like my marriage is attached or my identity is attached to having a great marriage. Or if my kids turn out great, then I feel like that's attached to that. But, but how many know that things don't necessarily work out the way we want them to? And we, we, we must understand something here, that we're all called to something greater. Those things within themselves are important. But those things within themselves can't be our sole identity. We can't base everything about our life in those things because those things, as we know, our jobs will let us down. Um, There may be a sudden layoff that we didn't see. Our kids may not turn out exactly the way they wanted to. Marriage may not turn out the way we wanted to. All these things, if we put our hope and our identity into these things, we, we know that they can easily let us down. And so what we end up doing in our lives is we, is, is we put forth this, this air about ourselves, this aura about ourselves that we want people to believe about ourselves that may not necessarily be true about ourselves. And so we, we end up perpetrating this pseudo lie about ourselves. And we end up trying to fulfill this lie in our lives that, that just doesn't do it. It doesn't bring us happiness. It doesn't bring us joy. And so, yes, should we strive to be good parents and to do well at our occupations and and to do all we can to have successful marriages? Yes, 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 yes. But those things are not what define us. We can't allow those things to define us. And so this is is what I want to look at today. I want to look at not chasing these empty promises to give me fulfillment and purpose in my life, but to give you a higher calling in your life to realize that God calls you to something higher than all that stuff because all that stuff may not work out in your life, but that doesn't mean that God is not calling you to something higher. That, that God wants to give you a worth and identity that's not based in these worldly things that can so easily let us down. Amen? Because they will and they can. So I want to start by, by saying this morning. Let me give this statement. I want everyone to understand this morning that we all have the same calling in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us have the same calling in Christ Jesus. Now, we might do different things, but our calling is to ultimately serve Christ with our lives. And here's the mistake that we believe. We believe, the mis- we, we believe this and we're, we're mistaken to believe that calling is only for those in full-time ministry. Like God only calls pastors or, or God only calls missionaries. But, but that's a lie. That's a lot. That, that may be something that, 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 that God wanted me to do to become a pastor or others to become missionaries. But I want every single one of you to realize 
that you are called, that God has called you. And so what I want to do right off the bat here is I want to give us a biblical understanding of what calling means. I want you to know this morning, God is calling you to something greater. God is calling you something to something greater than just your occupation or your kids or your marriage. All those things are important, but God is calling you to something greater. And when you understand your calling and your purpose, it will change your life. It will change your perspective. If you're looking for happiness and joy in your life, you pick the right Sunday to come to church. I'm going to show you the secret to fulfillment in your life. And guess what? It's for free. You didn't even have to buy my book. I don't have a book, but you didn't have to buy the book, okay? We're going to look in the book to show you the word of God, to show you how you can find joy and fulfillment in your life. So let's look at a biblical understanding here. Here, Paul, let me me throw this first verse out. Here, Paul, he's writing to this church in Ephesus. Listen to what Paul says to this church. He's talking to everybody in the church. So pretend I'm Paul and I'm speaking to you. He's speaking to everybody. He's not speaking to a select chosen few. He's not speaking to the elite He's not speaking to a a certain dream team that God has just selected. He's speaking to everyone. And listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of what? Your calling. Your calling. For you have been called by who? Not Pastor Barden. Not someone else. You all have been called by God. Always be humble. This is actually, this is like my favorite verse in the New Testament. This is like my life verse. I love this verse. Wonderful verse. Got to keep reminding myself of this every single day. He said, always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other. Here's your calling. Are you ready? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Paul is saying you all have been called by God. And what Paul is telling the church is, I beg you to lead a life worthy of that calling. So let's dig into what that calling is. Paul, once again, speaking to the church in Thessalonica, says this. He said, he called you to what? Salvation. When you you were told the good news, now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's, here's, in order to understand your calling in God, it, listen, it's not, if you're looking like into your bowl of Cheerios in the morning to get some secret sign from God that he's calling you, or if you're waiting for the clouds just to formulate some words that God is calling you or waiting for God to text you or waiting for some great sign. Listen, you're probably not going to find it. You're probably, if, if that's how you're looking for, if I can just get a sign, God, just, just give me some sign, you're probably not going to see it. Here's, here's what I want you to, to realize. That God showed you the greatest sign that you will ever see through his son, Jesus. What God does is, and this is why we celebrate the Christmas season, where we understand where it's God incarnate, where God came to be with us. God actually came in the form of a human, of a baby, 
to live among us, fully God, fully man, to give his life, to show us the way back to God. That's, that's what we need to look to. That's the greatest sign that you will ever see that God is with us is his son, Jesus. You don't have to search for it. There's no mystical thing about it. God says, I'm going to come in the midst of your messiness. I'm going to come in the midst of your dysfunction. And I'm going to send my son for you. And he's going to show you the way back home. You trust him. And so in order to be called, it's not some secret mystical thing. In order to be called, you have to be called out of something and to something. So in order to be called, you have to be called out of something and to something. So, so what I want to do this morning is, is, is give you three things that we are actually called to. And so what, what we have to realize is in order to be called, I've got to be called out of something and then to something. And this is what will change your perspective of your life. This is what will give you hope in your life. This is what will give you joy when you finally discover that I'm actually called to something that has purpose and meaning and is not empty or it's not an empty promise because we've all chased those dreams and you get to the end of the dream you're like this isn't what I wanted it to be I thought it was going to deliver all this stuff but it didn't deliver like I thought because you're chasing the wrong dream you're chasing something that ultimately will leave you unfulfilled and so here's the fulfillment that God calls us to and let me just give you three things here The first thing we can understand about scripture is that what Jesus does is he calls us actually out of darkness and into light. So he calls us out of darkness and into light. So let let me give you a couple passages here to to reiterate this. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, and it's recorded for us in John. He says, I've come as, as a light to shine in the dark, in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. So, so notice that the dark and light that Jesus has used. There's darkness and there's light. He's taken us out of something that's dark, that's meaningless, that you can't find your way, into something that is lit, that has meaning, that you can now see your path. I don't know about you if you ever got up in the middle of the night and you tripped and you stubbed your toe because what? It was dark. You couldn't see what was all around you. And so what Jesus is saying is, I've come into this dark place to be the light of the world, to show you the way to expose those hidden things that are meaningless. So he takes us out of darkness into light. Paul speaking here to the church in Colossae again, he says he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. And then Paul speaking again here in Ephesians, he says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are, now you are light in the Lord, live as children of the light. So, so what, is, what is Paul getting at? What is Jesus getting at here about darkness and light? Every single one of us, when we are born, we are born into sin. That is, that is the human condition of the heart. The human condition of the heart is, is not... Good. We are born, we are tainted with sin because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so what we do is we spend our lives and we walk in darkness and, and, and sin has covered itself on us. And there's no way in our own strength, our own power 
to find forgiveness of the sin or overcome it without the help of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. He came to give his perfect life for us as a substitute by his death on the cross so that we could be forgiven and be brought out of darkness into light again. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I have come to expose that darkness and that sin. And the truth of Jesus shines the light on our hearts and our motives and our true desires. And Jesus says, I know your heart. I I know the evil desires. I know the wrong things in your life. I've come to die for those things, but I've come to expose it, not just to humiliate you and to keep you in that place, but to deliver you and to redeem you and to forgive you so that you now can walk in my light. Here's it. I was brought up in church. Most of you know that. And, uh, yeah, I went to church. We did our religious thing. You know, I went to Sunday school, went to church. We, we did our thing, but I didn't get it. I didn't understand why we went. I remember asking my mom, mom, why are we going to church? Because, well, this is what we're supposed to do. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that makes no sense that if we have to do it, then why are we doing it? If we just have to do it. Remember, some of you may have been brought up that way. It was just a chore. You had to check the list. Of, we got to go to church. It's good for you. You know, just go and sit in the pew and argue with your sister. So, you know, it, it just, but there was, there was this time in my life where all of a sudden I, I heard the gospel message being preached. And all of a sudden I heard it a little differently that it was like, it was more personal. Like, you know, Jesus came for you to die for your sins. And I'm like, Ooh, wait a minute. You're getting a little personal now. I can do the religious thing and go and do my little thing. But all of a sudden it became personal that you have to confess your sins, that Jesus wants to forgive you and he wants you to come out of darkness into light. And that's the only way as a 16-year-old teenager that I can explain my salvation experience is this, is that I was in darkness and I was brought into the light. That all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't just some religious thing. This isn't just go through the motions thing and just go to church and check off the box. That Jesus actually died for my sins and he wants me to make it personal. And when I came to that realization, I bowed my knee to Christ and I confessed him as Lord and Savior. And I asked him to come into my life and he, he changed my life, April 1982. And my life has never been the same. And, and not that I've lived a perfect life or I haven't made a lot of mistakes, but I, I understood at that point why Jesus came. And it changed the whole trajectory of my life. It changed everything about it. Because all of a sudden, now I understood this is the reason why Jesus came. Not for me just to go to church and to go through some religious activity, but he actually came to deliver me out of darkness and now place me into the light of what he's come to do for me. It made it personal for me. And so all these darkness things I want you to see is that he's come to take you out of that darkness and the meaningless of life and the distractive, the distractions in our lives, the things that we chase, the things that we chase in darkness. Jesus says, I've come to deliver you from all that stuff and to give you a new reason for living. I love the way that Jesus called his disciples. And uh, Matthew records it for us. And it, it says this, it says, while walking on the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
That's interesting. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now their occupation was fishing. That's what they did. And it's interesting that Jesus calls them to drop their nets. And then he gives them the purpose. The new purpose of their calling was just not to be fishermen, which was fine occupation. That's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with fishing, but he now gives them a new sense and direction for their life. He says, not only you fish, not only do you catch fish, but you're actually going to be fishers of men. So being a fisherman is not a bad thing, but there's something very important going on here. Jesus is calling them out of this worldly profession into actually a heavenly one. He's giving them a new sense of direction for their life. So he says, you were known as, as, as fishermen. This is what you did. This was your livelihood, but I'm calling you to something greater. I'm calling you to actually rescue people for my glory. Okay, so now we understand that he calls us out of, out of something to something greater, something better. He calls us out of darkness into his life. So what do I do now? Okay, okay, pastor, I get it. Okay, Jesus came to die for my sins. I, I, I get it. I understand that I've got to, by faith, trust him. And it's only by his grace that I can be saved. But here, listen. Oh, I haven't done that in a while. But listen. Here's where we miss it. We, we get the salvation part and what Jesus did for us, but then what we, we don't enter into that calling. What we end up doing is just going to church week after week and sitting in a pew, and that's as far as it gets. But God says, there's something greater I want you to do. Because if I've called you into the light, now you are mine. Now I want to do something with your life. Now, as 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 Paul said, I beg you to live your life worthy of the calling. What does that mean? God says, I've got something greater than just going to church. There's something more purposeful for your life than just being a church member and giving your tithe. There's so much more. And this is where we go into the second thing, because God not only called you out of darkness into light, but now he's called you for his glory. Okay, now this is where the purpose of my life begins to change. God calls us to actually reflect his glory now. So this is what's cool. God takes my life, barred and drays, messed up, dysfunctional, selfish, living for myself, you know, not thinking about God, not thinking about what he did for me, just what am I can do for myself. And all of a sudden he takes me out of that, out of that darkness into the light. And he says, okay, Bard, now I want to use you. So now I'm going to start stripping you a little bit. And I want you to look beyond yourself to realize that now I've changed you. And this is the thing I love about God, that he can actually use our past for future glory. He can take the ugly things of our past and actually use them as a trophy of his grace. I was this way. I walked in darkness, but now God has saved me and he's using me for his purposes I can't believe that God could use me, a sinner like me, a wretch like me, that God could actually use me. That's God's grace. And now what he says, I'm going to use you for my purposes and my glory. And so now this is a laying down of our life where we say, okay, God, how can I reflect your glory? See, our purpose and meaning in life is to reflect the God of the universe who actually created us. So understanding that you were created by God to reflect his image will change everything about your life. 
It will change the trajectory of your life. In the book of Genesis, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God created you. Yes, we were marred by sin. Yes, we're all born into sin. But God redeems us now through his son. He purchases back through the blood of his son, his perfect blood, perfect sacrifice. God buys us back through his son. And now he takes us and he redeems us to use us for his purposes and his glory. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Just think about it for just a moment. Let it sink in. We were created in the image of God and that we are his image bearers now. It's a great responsibility. We are not a higher form of animals. God gave us dominion over the animals He has given us the ability to actually commune with him. And this gives human life dignity and meaning now. That I was created for a purpose and a meaning to actually reflect the image of the almighty God. I like what N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, he says it so well. He says, imagine God up above and the earth below. And in between them, human beings are set at a 45 degree angle with a mirror. Your job, your destiny is to reflect the holy reign of God down onto earth to care for all of creation and particularly human beings the way God would want us to. And then to gather up all the goodness and delight of the earth and put it into words and to offer it and offer it to God in worship. Your destiny, your destiny is to, is to contribute more creative God-given goodness to the earth than, your, than you currently imagine And to offer more earthly joy and gratitude to God than you can currently contain. And so here's here's what N.T. Wright is saying. I I like this quote. Because here's here's what he's saying. He's putting in perspective for us why we were created and what we are to do with the glory of God. And so God says, listen, I've given you these gifts, this ability. And now I want you to serve me with those gifts. So whatever your gift is, whatever your gift, if you're good at math, that's a gift. That is a really, that is a gift. If you are good at math, that's a gift. And some of you are just good at math. My older son, Colby, is just good at math. I don't know where he got it from because he didn't get it from me. He didn't get it from his mother. I'm doing a DNA check on that child because I don't know if it's ours. But he, he's good at math. He, he's he. He, he takes all the higher level math courses in college and just, I'm looking at it. And I'm like, this looks like chicken scratching to me. I've no, this, this could be Chinese for all I know. I, I can't read any, what you're doing. He goes, well, dad, it takes a long time, blah, blah, blah. But I say, don't even try to explain it because I won't get it. God has gifted every single one of us. Here's the problem. We take our gift and then we just use it for ourselves and it ends with me. Think for a moment if you would take the gift that God has given you and you turn it back around to use it to serve him and to glorify him. See what we do. Listen, 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 listen. Here's what we do. Here's where, here's where, here's where your joy gets sucked out of your life. Here's where you lose your happiness because what we end up doing is we take our joy in those things, but it stops with us and the joy is gone. It fulfilled myself, but now it's gone. And it's like, I got to go on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But can you imagine if you take the gifts that God has given you and you use it to serve him and to glorify him because it's, it's better to give than to receive. 
You see, when I understand what my God-given abilities and gifts are, and now I use to glorify him, my whole life and my perspective and my purpose begins to change. That's why when you do something for someone else, it feels good. It feels good. Now, you may have the complete wrong motives for doing it. You're saying, I'm going to serve somebody, and I hope someone pats me on the back, but it feels good. Now, you may be doing it from the wrong motives, but can you imagine if you do it to glorify God? See, it doesn't stop with you. You rob yourself when you keep your gift to yourself or you just use it for yourself. You rob yourself of the ultimate joy that God desires to give to us. So how do we short-circuit God's glory in our lives? If we know that he's called out of darkness into light, that he's created us to reflect his glory through his son Jesus, how do we short-circuit God's glory in our lives. See, when I don't see my calling is to glorify God, then we exchange it for something less. So what happens is instead of glorifying God with our gift, we end up glorifying ourselves with our, with our gifts. And that's not good. And that's what always gets us in trouble because we get selfish and, and, and we lose perspective in life and what it means to serve. So what happens? Well, The Apostle Paul explains it very well in Romans chapter 1. When you get time on your own, read it. Great chapter. But basically what Paul says is here's the problem with the condition of the human heart. What what we ended up doing is we ended up changing, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. And we began to worship the created things and not the creator. So what, what, what he's saying is we as humans, instead of looking up to the heavens and saying, wow. What an awesome creator we have. And he he showed his glory is on display through the universe. But through the foolishness of our own thinking and the selfishness of our heart, the darkness of our heart, we exchanged it. And we began to worship the created things. And, 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 through science and through everything else and through our own thinking, we just thought, well, God has no handiwork in this. It's all naturalistic. God has nothing to do with this. We began to, to think foolishness in our mind and we began to turn to ourselves and we began to worship our intellect. We began to worship our status. We began to worship our kids. We began to worship our money. We began to worship our entertainment. So how do we protect ourselves from self-glorification? Here's how you protect yourself from self-glorification. Because you're going to rob yourself of the joy and happiness that God desires to give you when you begin to self-glorify yourself. So how do we protect ourselves from self-glorification? We all need to be aware of our tendencies to drift. We all drift. We, we all get distracted. There's times in our lives where we get envious and jealous. Right? Have you ever been that way where someone got a promotion or somebody got this thing and you're like, well, how come me? Why didn't I get that? Right? You, have, you start having your own pity party, right? And you're the only one at that party and your wife's doing this because she's playing the world's smallest violin, right? You know, the, you, you know all that stuff, right? We just get this, we get, we, get, we, get our, we get our little pity parties. So how do we protect ourselves from that, from, from that self-glorification? Well, we need to be self-aware of our tendencies to, to drift. And here's, here's, I, I love when people share their shortcomings. I love when people share their shortcomings. C- can you imagine if you let others know of your shortcomings? We, we are so afraid 
to let our guard down because either number one, we're afraid that we're going to be judged, especially in Christian circles. We're the worst at this in the church because if we share our shortcomings with someone else, like, man, I failed in this area. We're afraid right away. We're going to get judged and people are going to look at us differently. But, but the opposite is true because that's a form of self-glorification and, and self-preservation when I'm trying to protect myself in my image. You will rob yourself of the joy and happiness that God desires to give to you. And the way you do that is be, be aware of your tendencies to drift towards yourself. The default of your heart, just always remember this, is not to default towards God. It's always to default towards me. It's always to default towards protecting myself and fulfilling my needs and myself. That's the way of our, we got to constantly guard ourselves against that. I heard a, I read this story of a CEO of a huge company and the CEO was a Christian and he, he heard as he was starting to follow Jesus and get to hear God's word he began to really reflect on his own life and his own heart. And he really realized that he was very narcissistic about his life. Many CEOs, they've done studies on this, are narcissistic. It's just they've done studies on this. Many are very narcissistic. And, um, and, and, and so as he went to this church and as he, as he began to, to work with this one pastor, he wanted to be vulnerable to the pastor because he knew the proclivity of his heart was to take care of himself and to walk on people. And this is what he said to the pastor because he admitted to the pastor that he was narcissistic. He says, Pastor, I, I am about myself. I'll just be honest with you. Um, he believed, he goes, Pastor, I'm just going to tell you, I believe that I'm right most of the time and that people are wrong most of the time. He admitted that he never asked for help, uh, that he could solve his problems better than anyone else. He goes, Pastor, here's my problem. I believe that I'm right most of the time. I believe people don't know what they're doing most of the time. Uh, I believe I can solve problems better than people. And then he told this to the pastor. He says, Pastor, this is what I know about my heart, that, 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 that I easily take advantage of other people without even knowing it at times because of my narcissistic heart. And so we asked the pastor if he could be accountable to him. He said, Pastor, can I be accountable? This, these are my flaws. This is where I fall short. I know this about myself. And I want to be accountable to you so that you can, that, that you can have access to my heart when you see me going off, off the rail. Can you imagine, just for a moment, can you imagine if we were that self-aware about ourselves? Can, can you imagine if you became that vulnerable with a close friend or your spouse, like saying, you know what? I can be selfish at times. I saw you doing the dishes. And I didn't do a thing about it. Boy, I got real quiet in here. Did that just touch a sore spot on that? Did that just, right? And, and we know that it's true, but can you imagine if we're just open saying, you know what? I tend to hog the conversation sometimes. I tend to turn things around back to myself. I tend to be self-preserving about myself. Can you imagine if we're that open with people? See, what you end up doing in your life when you can be open and honest about your shortcomings, you allow the glory of God to be reflected in your life. You just do because it makes you depend on him even more. Can you imagine saying this? When, when you hear an unkind word coming out of my mouth or when I get full of myself, would you, would you correct me? Would, would you speak into my life there? Or, or if you know that you said an unkind word, can you imagine getting to the point where you're like, was, 
that was unkind. That that was selfish. I need your forgiveness. See, this is where we short circuit the glory of God in our lives when we are not vulnerable and we're not open to our shortcomings and we don't express those shortcomings and we're not accountable to somebody else about our shortcomings. See, every, listen to me, every single one of us have blind spots in our lives. We do. Every single one of us. And we, listen, we, we can do something without even knowing it at times. And we need other people in our lives to say, you know what? You kind of spoke to that person kind of rudely. You were a little harsh with the kids. You were the, we have to be open because what we end up doing is we end up robbing the glory of God in our lives when we, aren't, when we, when we don't walk in, in, a, in a self-awareness of our own shortcomings. And so you need to ask yourself, does my life reflect who Jesus is? Am I reflecting this to other people? When I'm having a conversation with somebody in the world, when something doesn't go my way, when my patients start to wane, um, how am I reflecting Christ? Am I, am I acting in a Christ-like manner? So, so how do we not fall in the trap of, of trying to gain our self-worth through counterfeit ways? So, so, so how, do, how do we do this? Because I believe this is where the purpose of your life begins to change. Because what you end up doing is you end up looking beyond yourself and you begin to look to others. And I believe this last thing is so important for us to realize. This is the thing that changed in my life. Because I want you to realize that every single one of us who have been called out of darkness into light, who have been called to reflect his glory, to use our gifts and our talents, to give them back to the Lord, to say, God, you give me these things. How am I using this to reflect your glory? How am I using this to glorify you? But the third thing I want you to realize is that what Jesus calls you to is the most important thing in the world. And this is what Jesus called his disciples to. Jesus calls us to reach people. Here's what changes. Listen, the, the, the thing at Living Word that's important, this is kind of our motto at Living Word, is that, is that we, we're all about people who have not yet belonged. Living Word is not some exclusive club that you got to know the secret handshake and know the secret knock to get in. In fact, we exist for people who have not yet belonged. We are all about reaching people, all people, everyone, and leading them to a wonderful understanding and salvation of who Jesus is and why Jesus came. That's our purpose as a church. The minute we lose that purpose and direction is the minute we start to focus inward. And we start to grumble and we start to complain because we lose our vision. What's robbing most of you of your joy, you may be here and you say, Pastor, I've been serving Jesus for a long time, but I, I, I don't have a lot of joy. I, I don't have a lot of happiness. I'm, I, I have to, I'm kind of a grumpy Christian. If you met a grumpy Christian, they're the most fun people in the world, right? Listen, God did not call you to become a grumpy Christian as I say, sit in your lawn chair in the front of your house and just yell at kids that step on your lawn, right? That, that's not what he's called us to. He's called us to reach people. And when you realize what your calling is, it changes everything. I heard this when I was in high school and it's always stuck in my mind. Someone said this. He says, you're either a, mission, you're either a missionary or a mission field. 
You're either a missionary or you're a mission field. And young in my walk with the Lord, I remember my youth pastor instilled something in me that just changed my perspective about, about life and my walk with Christ as I, as I was just learning to follow Jesus and understanding what that all meant. He helped me to see, he says, Barden, I want you to understand that you going to school and trying to get good grades and you're on the varsity swim team and you're doing all this stuff, that, that stuff's important, but that's not your ultimate calling. He goes, I want you to see your high school as your mission field. Say, what? I mean, can I just go to church and just do my Christian thing here in the four walls where it's nice and cozy and comfortable and the chairs are nice and soft and comfortable and cushy cozy? He says, no, your ultimate calling is to reach people. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, I want to make you fishers of men. And all of a sudden, that was my aha moment in my life that I realized that Jesus had a greater calling in my life than just being a high school student or just getting by or, or just being a swimmer. But my aha moment was, God said, Barden, your ultimate calling is to people. I, I so appreciate Tim Tebow. Those of you who don't know Tim Tebow, he won the Heisman Trophy, wrote a great book. Um, Tim kind of got put on the sideline, I would say, in the NFL, and, and just not great things happened to him. When, probably wasn't treated the best, but did play in the NFL and had a great college career. But his testimony for Christ is amazing. And I, and I appreciate Tim Tebow because um, he's taken a lot of ridicule for his faith in Christ, but no one can say he's not living out what he believes. And I, I like a couple things, some quotes from, some, from Tim Tebow, because he, get, he gets it. His, his life is not about his Heisman Trophy or whether or not he played in the NFL or whether or not he's, he's playing um, uh, Major League Baseball. That, that's not what's about his life. This is what he says about his life. He says, regardless of whatever I do, I know what my purpose is. Okay, Tim, what's your purpose? What's his purpose? To make a difference in people's lives. And he's doing that incredibly. I, I kind of get a kick out of like announcers when I talk about Tim Tebow. They may ridicule him for his faith, but every single one of them, every single one of those announcers want their daughter to marry him. <laughs> See, he says, when we talk about having a life of significance and meaning, this is good. He says, it's not about fame or money or resources. It's about what? It's about people, lives and hearts. That's my biggest passion in life. Tim gets it. It's not about pursuing a baseball career or a football career, or whether or not he won the Heisman. His passion in life is to actually use whatever God has given, whatever gift God has given you, use it as a springboard to reach others for Christ. That will change your whole perspective about your life. I like what John Orthberg says here. He says, at the end of the day, we do not have a program, a plan, a platform, or a product to help the world. We have a savior. We do not point to success, knowledge, pleasure, or power. We point to a cross. We don't point to success, knowledge, pleasure, or power. We point to a cross. That's what changes people's lives, is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross.
See, I want you to look at your life differently because some of you may look at your life and you say, Pastor, how can God use me? Because number one, my past is so messed up. You know, he can use that and he'll use it for his glory. For some reason, when you talk about your past and the mess ups that you make, all of a sudden people start listening. They're like, you know what? Yeah, that happened to me too. Well, how did you get over that? How, what, what's helped you? And because only by the grace of God. I thank, I thank God every day that he saved me from that. And I'm not perfect and I make mistakes still. But by God's grace, he forgives me and he's leading me forward. You see the humility there? It's a lot different. See, when you're able to open up about your past mistakes, it causes you to be humble and it causes people's ears to open up. See, God isn't looking for the elite, the best, the most successful, who, who got a perfect SAT score. All those things are great, fine and dandy. But you know who he's really looking for? People who avail themselves to him and say, you know what, I just need you, Jesus. Because those things can never bring ultimate significance and purpose in my life. See, understanding that you've been created by God changes everything. And so whatever gift that God has given you, he wants you to use that for his glory. And remember that it's about people. So when you go back to your job or you look at your family, I know, listen, we just had Thanksgiving. Some of you just said, man, Thanksgiving was a train wreck. I was just, you know, I got to be with family members that I don't want to be with. And there's just so much drama and drama. And I'm sick of drama. I want to exchange that ticket. I don't want to go to that movie anymore. I'm just done with the drama. But guess what? God has called you to reach people and to pray for them. That's your calling. Your job is not your ultimate calling. The people that are at your job are your ultimate calling. You see? See the difference? And when you begin to serve people, it will bring a joy in your heart that you've been missing because now you're doing what God has called you to do. So I want to go back to the first, first verse we read in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Listen to Paul again. You ready? Paul says, therefore, I, I a prisoner, he's in prison for, his, for serving the Lord, but he, listen, how he encourages them, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. If you've been called by God, he said, this is how you walk in your calling now. Be completely, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Okay, now everything changes. How many know that people are going to irritate you? They're going to bother you, right? What Paul is saying is that we make allowances for that. That we actually bear under the idiosyncrasies of one another. That, that we put up with those things through our love for one another. So your ultimate calling is to glorify Christ in your life. So you can glorify him in your occupation. You can glorify him with your hobbies. You can glorify him in your sports, whatever it is. You can glorify him and give him this thanks. And then it doesn't stop with you. It goes back to God and it will give you significance and purpose that you're looking for and a hope and a joy and happiness that just might be missing in your life because those things aren't happening. So I want to pray for you and just pray for those that are just struggling with who they are and their calling and just 
the thing I would tell you, you say, Pastor, what's my next step? The thing I would tell you is just turn it over to the Lord and ask God, God, how, how do you want to use me? You know, it, it might be working in the nursery. It might be helping out with kids' church. It might be whatever. God, how, how do you want to use it? I remember asking that question to my youth pastor. I go, I, I go how can God use me? I, you know, he goes, well, he can glorify you through swimming. He can glorify you working at Wendy's. I'm like, really, working at Wendy's? Oh, yeah, he can, really, working at Wendy's? Yeah, he can just live for Jesus working at Wendy's. Okay, well, what can I do? He goes, tell her people about Jesus at Wendy's. Well, yeah, a lot of people at Wendy's need Jesus because I know what they're doing after work. It smells really funny after work. I don't know what that smells, but it really smells funny after work. <laughs> Jesus, help me. But you know what? He said, Barden, just start serving people. He goes, you know what I need? I need someone who's going to be a greeter at the door on Wednesday nights at youth group and sit with new kids that come. Can you do that? I'm like, well, I could do that. So I was the, I was the Ruth Brooks of my youth group. I was the official greeter. I sat with people. And uh, new kids that would come, I'd say, hey, you want to sit with me? And that was, and I, it was awesome. I loved it. Whatever it is, do it for the glory of God. And watch how your life changes. Do it all for the glory of God. He created you to glorify him. Let's glorify him in our lives. And all, even in the mundane things, let's glorify him. And watch how it changes your life. So, Father God, we just come before you, and as we just close in song today, Lord, I just pray that you would just reignite our hearts again to realize why we're created, why we exist, and, and how you want to change our lives and use the things that you have given us to glorify you. So help us, be a, help us to be a people that just glorify you, God, in everything we do. And I pray for those that just feel like, how can God use me? God, you can use our past. You can use all the wrong things that we've done, God. And you can now make us trophies of your grace and now say, look what God has done in my heart. Look at how he has changed me. Look at how he has redirected my life. So we thank you, Jesus, that you do redeem us and that you do forgive us and you do change us. And you know everything about us anyways. You know all of our past. Even if we don't confess it, you know it. But it's when we confess it that everything changes. So Lord, use us for your glory.